Hey, my name is PJ Nolan. I'm the lead pastor of Collective Church. We are a community of real people in Saline County, Arkansas, seeking to know God and to make Him known. We hope as you visit our podcast that you will find the messages inspiring, practical, but most importantly, biblical. Turn with me in the scriptures this morning, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, if you have a physical hard copy of the Bible, you can turn there with me. Uh, If you're on your mobile device, you can go there as well. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be in verses 11 through 32. And the title of our message today is, Does Your Heart... Does your heart as a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, align with the Father's heart? Does your heart align with the Father's heart? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a friend that was really good at telling a story? A friend that could just draw you into a story to the point where you could just take in the sights, the sounds, and the emotions of the story. Uh, I had a friend like that. Over the last couple of years, uh, this past January, he lost a battle with cancer and passed away. But man, he was a great storyteller. Um, And he could tell all kinds of stories, uh, funny stories, uh, just stories about his kids, stories about his marriage. But he was also really good at sharing stories about his personal life with people. So good at it to the point that the pastor that did his funeral said that... um, that the man was so transparent with sharing stories about his life that it was almost unsettling with people at times. That's how vulnerable he was willing to be about some of his own struggles and things that he dealt with in his life. You know, Jesus was like that. Uh, Jesus was a, was a master storyteller. Uh, Jesus could tell a story like no other. Uh, he was so good at sharing these stories that they made their ways into the Gospels. Um, those stories, we refer to them as parables. And Jesus' parables were always seasoned with lessons and principles for his listeners, just like you and I here today, to consider, to respond to, to obey, and to apply to their lives. Jesus knew that people loved and connected with and connected to a powerful story. I think this is one of the reasons C.S. Lewis once wrote this. C.S. Lewis said that stories awaken us and they draw us into another world. They awaken us, and they draw us into another world. In Luke chapter 15, before you get up to the verses that we're going to read together this morning, Jesus actually shares two other stories. There's three stories in this chapter of Scripture. He shares a story of a lost sheep in Luke 15, 1 through 7. Jesus shares the story of a lost coin in verses 8 through 10. And then he shares this story of the lost son. The lost son is the son that we refer to often as the prodigal son. The question is, why did Jesus share these particular three stories in Luke chapter 15? Well, the scriptures really answer this question for us. Let's go all the way back to the top of Luke chapter 15 and look at what the Bible says here. It says, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Catch that. The tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners were those who were looked down upon. They were the the downtrodden. They were the people that the religious folks, the people that thought they had it all together, they shunned these folks. They wanted nothing to do with them. But here you have Jesus, the Messiah, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, almighty God, God in the flesh, 
and the tax collectors and the sinners are literally gathered around to hear him. In other words, he was approachable. But the scriptures go on here to say that there were these Pharisees and teachers of the law nearby. The Pharisees were the folks that they had it all figured out, or so they thought. And so did the teachers of the law, the scribes, as other translations put it. The Bible says here that the Pharisees and the scribes muttered to themselves, this man, Jesus, he welcomes sinners and even eats with them. They didn't like it. Uh, Tony Evans describes this passage this way in his Tony Evans Bible commentary. He says, the Pharisees and the scribes were angry with Jesus for welcoming tax collectors and sinners because they had failed to understand the heart of God. That God longs for the lost to be found and that he is filled with joy when a single sinner repents and comes home. He rejoices when a relationship is restored. We see here in verses 1 through 2 that Jesus shared these three stories because the religious people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the people who knew so much about the scriptures were actually missing the actual heart of the Father. They were totally missing out on what God actually desired. After all, let's not forget why the Father sent the Son into the world to begin with. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is why the Father sent the Son. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said himself that he had not come into the world to save those who thought they were well and didn't need a doctor. He came for those who knew they were sick and needed a doctor. And so Jesus knows this. He knows that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law nearby are muttering these things among themselves. And so he shares these three stories, and he wants them to see that the Father's heart is to seek and to save that which is lost. So let's go back now together to verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. Let's use our imagination, and let's try to put ourselves into this passage as Jesus tells this story. Let's try to take in the sights, the sounds, and let's just try to put ourselves there. It says here that Jesus told a story that there was a man, a dad, who had two sons. There was a younger one that said to his father, Dad, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between his two sons, and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and remember, the distant country isn't so much about a geographical location as it is for being metaphorical about being far from God. So this younger son sets off to this distant country where he squanders the wealth, his inheritance, and wild living. And after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were actually eating from, and no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Yet here I am starving to death. I will set out. I'm going to go back home to dad. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so the son got up and he went to his father. 
I love this part of the passage. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Don't ever forget, no matter how far you walk away from God, God never walks away from you. He always sees you where you are, and he's always filled with compassion for you. And look at this here. The father runs to the son. He throws his arms around him, and he kisses him. And the son said to him, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Let's put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And let's not stop there. Let's bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. Why? The son of mine was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And so they began to celebrate. The New Living Translation says, so the party began. We're about to read about the older brother. Let me remind you the lessons that God teaches us about himself through this prodigal son, the son that ran away. If you missed this last week, you can maybe take a picture of it real quick. But the father loves you even when you're hurting his heart. This is what the prodigal son teaches us. This is what the father teaches us about himself in this passage. The father, God, he loves you even when you're hurting his heart, when you're walking away from him, when you're wasting your life, when you're wallowing in sin, even when you're trying to work in your own might. And of course, he loves you when you are wrapped in his arms. The father loves you even when. That's our God. Now, We reach a point in this story, sometimes pastors don't go to this part, we're going to go there because we have a lot to learn from this older brother. The scriptures continue here and says, meanwhile, Jesus is a good storyteller, every good story has a meanwhile. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, the older brother. What does it mean that he was in the field? It means he was working. The older son was hard at work at his eight to five job. He was doing all the things that he thought were the right things to do. And he's on his way back home from work. And when he comes near the house, he heard music and dancing. What's going on here is there's a party going on that the older son didn't know about. There's a party happening that the older brother didn't even know was going to be taking place. And so what begins to kind of happen in his heart and in his soul here is what the younger people today might refer to as FOMO. The older brother has a little bit of fear of missing out here in this passage. And then he begins to discover what is going on. He approaches the house. There's music. There's dancing going on. So he calls one of his dad's servants. And he asks him, what's going on in the house? And the servant says, your brother has come home. Imagine this. The older brother is being told by the servant, hey, the, the, the brother that left and squandered his inheritance on wild living and has done whatever he's wanted to do and has caused the family so much grief and so much pain, hey, he's back and we're having a party for him. And the servant says here, your father has actually killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Doesn't set too well with the older brother. The scriptures go on here to describe him this way. The older brother became angry. And he refused to even go in and celebrate. The father got word of this, and he went out and pleads with his older son. But the uh, older son answered his dad, look, you can hear in his tone, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Never disobeyed any of your orders. We've got some family conflict here. None of us have ever had any family conflict, have we? 
He says here, I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't even say this brother of mine. He wants nothing to do with them. He says, when this son of yours, when this son of yours comes home, he has squandered all of your property with prostitutes, yet you kill the fattened calf for him. And look at the dad's response. And this is our father's response to us today, if we're the older brother. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Two different brothers here. One of the brothers is obviously has been living a sinful lifestyle, so much so that the family knows he's been spending all of his inheritance on prostitutes. The older brother, the younger brother, has what we would refer to as sins of the flesh. Sins that are obvious, people can see them. But this older brother has what we would call sins of the spirit. You could say that he has spiritual heart problems. He has some heart issues. The older brother here, he has checked all the right boxes. He has marked everything off his list that by the world standards, by religious standards, would look like, oh, he's doing everything right. He has everything figured out. He has it all together. Jesus is actually trying to drive home a lesson to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they had thought they had it all figured out and had it all together. And yet, in our church today and in churches all across the world today, there are people filling seats in churches that have the same mindset. They think because they're checking all the right boxes that they are right with God. And what this older brother here teaches us is that you can check off all the right boxes, yet inwardly your heart be far from the Father's heart. Let's not forget what the scriptures tell us in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, and that is that man, you and I, looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. So let's spend the rest of our time together, just a few more minutes, looking at a few of the heart issues that the scriptures reveal to us about this older brother, this older son. Number one, the older brother has the heart issue of anger. He has the heart issue of anger. The scriptures tell us in Luke 15, verse 28, that when the older son came home and got word of what was going on back in the house, that he became angry. There are two types of anger. Righteous anger, that would be what we might would call godly anger. That is when we are angry, frustrated about the things that make God's heart angry or frustrated. Then there's unrighteous anger. Worldly anger is what we might would call it. Unrighteous anger and worldly anger occurs when we decide to respond to the emotion of anger in a way that is not honoring to God and actually stirs up more conflict than what they're already is. I shared with you last week that this story is an illustration of God's relationship to his sons and daughters. It's also metaphorical about family relationships within the church. By the way, the church is a family. The scriptures tell us that as a church, we are a family. And the scriptures tell us that we have guidelines and principles and instructions to follow as a family according to the scriptures. And what God is trying to teach us here is that there is a lesson 
at play. And that is that in the family of God, there's not a matter of if someone's going to make you angry at some point. It's a matter of when is someone in the family of God going to make you angry. And when someone in the family of God makes you angry, you have a decision to make. And that decision is, will I respond righteously in a way that's pleasing and honor to God and surrender to the Holy Spirit and respond according to his word? Or will I respond in a way that is not pleasing to God and allow my emotions to get the best of me? Let me give you a few reasons why there are oftentimes conflict or anger within the family of God. One of the most common reasons is simply this. People are people. People are people, and everyone brings different circumstances, different stories, different backgrounds, different hurts, different habits to the table. And when you put all of those things into a spiritual family together, there is a dynamic to take place where there's a spiritual rub at times where we just oftentimes rub each other the wrong way. And then anger can happen in the family of God. You also have this circumstance that people are learning and growing at different rates. Some have been following Jesus for years, and some have been following him for one week. And we're all at different places spiritually. Then you have some folks that, that, man, they just simply are sinning against other people. Then you have misunderstandings. Can I just tell you that most oftentimes when someone offends you or when someone makes you angry, most oftentimes it is simply a misunderstanding. More times than not, people genuinely do not seek to offend you. Most often, though, anger within the family of God happens because of our own flesh. James, the brother of Jesus, asked the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He said, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Look at what Proverbs said, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Let's look at the second heart issue that the older brother had. Not only did he have the heart issue of anger, but he had the heart issue of stubbornness. Stubbornness. The scriptures tell us, uh, continuing in verse 28, that the older brother not only became angry, but he refused to go in and celebrate the return of his younger brother back home. When the dad, the father, got word that the the older brother refused to go in, the dad goes out and pleads with him. He says, please, come in, celebrate the return of your brother. Let's come feast, come celebrate with us. But this older brother refuses to go back in. There's a question here for all of us to consider, and that is this. What is it that you are holding on to today that the father is pleading with you to give up? We, we all at times have things in our life that we are clinging to and holding on to that we don't want to give up, yet the Father in heaven is pleading with us to just simply surrender them to him. And a lot of times these things are heart issues. They're things that nobody else can see but us. There are things that we're holding on to that make us angry, that make us bitter, that cause us to keep people at a distance, and they keep us from healing and becoming the whole person that God has saved us and called us to be. But yet Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are pleading with us to surrender them, yet so often we just hang on to them and we refuse to let go. Look at what Proverbs 29.1 says about the stubborn. Whoever remains stiff-necked, after many rebukes, will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. I appreciate the way the Life Application Bible gives some commentary on that proverb. It says, warnings rarely come with countdowns. We can't tell when we've had our last chance to change. 
Therefore, the moment we realize that a change is necessary is the best moment to take action. So let me ask you, what significant adjustments have you been holding on to in your life for far too long? The third heart issue we see the older son battling with is not just anger and stubbornness, but this brother is self-righteous. He is really fighting with and struggling with some self-righteousness. The scriptures tell us in verses 29 through 30 that he answers his dad and he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Now, this isn't always the case, but oftentimes it is. Self-righteousness a lot of times begins with I. Self-righteousness oftentimes begins with me. Me, 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 I, I, I. Look at what I do compared to what they do. And that's what the older brother does here. He begins to prop himself up against the failings of his younger brother to make himself feel better and to feel like that should give him better standing with the father. The Bible says here that not only does he say, I've been slaving for you, but he says, but this son of yours, he has squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. In other words, look what I've been doing compared to what he has been doing. There's a principle here, and that is that motives matter. Motives matter. This son here, he was slaving for the father to earn his approval and to make himself feel better compared to others. Folks, we must remember that we don't serve the father for his approval or to feel better about ourselves compared to others. We serve the father because the son, Jesus Christ, he served. And we serve others not to make ourselves feel better compared to them. We serve others because Jesus has called us to be his hands and feet to them. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 11 through 12 tells us this. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Let me stop right there. You could conclude here that this older brother has cursed his dad. His mother isn't mentioned, but if there's a mother involved, we could say, too, he's certainly not blessing his mother by not coming in and celebrating the return of the son. Yet there are those who are pure in their own eyes and yet not even cleansed of their filth. Motives matter. Fourth and final thing we see, this older son had the heart issue of pride. Not only was he angry, not only is he stubborn and self-righteous, but man, he is prideful, which is often the result of self-righteousness. He says, I've been slaving for you, and look what he says here, and have never disobeyed your orders. If this is metaphorical for our relationship to our Heavenly Father, it would be very prideful for any of us to ever try to look the Father in the eye and say, I have never disobeyed any of your orders. Because what do we know according to the scriptures? Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are not to compare ourselves and prop ourselves up against the failures of others, but we are to set our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we set our sights on the cross, we see that we fall short. And that the only way we can have favor with the Father is by putting our faith and our trust and surrendering it all to the one who did the work on the cross, and that is Jesus himself. So this son, he thinks he hasn't disobeyed anything. Let's talk about disobedience for a moment. What is disobedience? 
Disobedience is to sin against God. Well, what is sin? Sin, you've heard me say it a thousand times. It is sin is doing what the Father has told us not to do, but it is also not doing the things that the Father has told us to do. So in this moment, the Son has the nerve, the self-righteousness, and the pride to look the Father in the eye and say, I've never disobeyed any of your orders, yet the Father in the moment is pleading with him to come in and celebrate, and he's saying no. Simultaneously, he's saying, I've never disobeyed you, while he is actually being deliberately disobedient. Proverbs 11, chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. I love the response the father had to this son here. And this is the response of the father to us, whether you're the prodigal child or you're the son that's and the child that's thinking they've done everything right. This is the father's response. Verses 31 through 32. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. The scriptures tell us that when we are born again in Christ Jesus, we have a spiritual inheritance that can never be taken away from us, can never be taken away from us. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. Everything I have is yours. And the dad says, the father says, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. One commentator says it this way. Like the father in the story, the Lord corrects our attitude when we are the older brother and welcomes us back warmly when we are the prodigal son. For both, we should be thankful since we are the recipients of his mercy in either situation. Jonathan's going to make his way back to the stage. And um, as we prepare to open up the altars and pray and make some decisions for ourselves in alignment with God, I just got to ask you this morning, does your heart align with the Father's heart? Does your heart break for the things that break his heart? When we had people being baptized one after the other the last couple of months, when we've seen people rededicate their lives to Jesus, when we've seen people surrender their lives to Jesus, when all that's been taking place, man, were you excited about it? Were you thrilled to see it or were you just kind of like, man, what is that all about? That's running over into my lunchtime. Man, I, got, I could get out of here. I got things to do. Or man, were you thrilled about the things that thrill the Father? Or were you, were, were you the son that refused to go in? That refused to go in and participate and be a part of the life change taking place? Man, Father, let it be, never be said of me. Thanks again for visiting the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you found the message to be practical, inspiring, and biblical. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about Collective Church, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you enjoyed the message, hit the subscribe button. And if you'd be willing to, hit share and help us spread the word about Collective Church.